and honestly, the, the way that they collectively play these games, there is so much... Um, getting that first goal is so important because it may only be a 2-1 to one game or a 3-2 to two game. You need to you need to be able to score first to give yourself um, much more of a chance when it's going to be bump and grind and you're going to have to work for every inch of ice that you get. Yeah, you know, as, uh, as we're talking with Mark Blot here, as, uh, as a scout for NeutralZone.net, first of all, uh, talk, you know, give us your perspective on what Norm Bazin's been able to do and his approach, I guess, to recruiting and scouting of players because, you know, from what I've seen, it's been different from what a lot of the other schools do and yet uh, it's been very, very successful as well. Very much so. It's it's interesting because, you know, it's it's kind of a, a I, I don't want to say throwback style, but it's it's a old school style in a way that, you know, so many of these coaches now in, in Division One and in Division Three are looking for younger and younger players and they're looking for, you know, developmental players that'll take three to four to five years to mature. Whereas what Norm Bazan and his staff are looking for are players that are, you know, either 19, 20, 21 year old players. They've pretty much reached exactly what their capabilities are and they're ready to come in and contribute immediately. So when you look at their roster, you see primarily players that are in junior hockey, primarily in the Midwest, like the NAHL or the USHL and a few others that, you know, kind of, you know, sprinkle in from the East Coast. But, you know, they've done so much work with um, older players. Only recently are they starting to go towards younger players that are 16 and 17 age. Do you see that continuing? I mean, they've had so much success doing it the way that, that they have been doing it. There's always the risk, I guess. You, you try to mix it up or change it up too much, and then uh, it doesn't go as well. Absolutely. I think the big thing is that, especially when you look at a team that's been really successful, UMass Lowell has won a lot of hockey games over the last five years under Coach Bazan's tenure. And then you look at, you know, success breeds success in a lot of ways. Doors are a little bit easier to open when you win that many hockey games, and it's a lot easier to make a pitch when you say, you know, we've won hockey's championships. We've had Connor Hellebuck here. We've had all kinds of players come through here. You might be the next person in line. And you see some of that taking place now where they've committed a 2001-born goalie from the Skipjacks U16, uh, Aiden Harper. They've committed a Dexter um, kid from um, see, Ben Meehan, who is uh, a 2001-born defenseman who has been one of the better defensemen in prep hockey this season. And, you know, typically that hasn't been the path that they've pursued, but now, again, success breeds success, so they're able to go after those players. The score here at the end of one, Merrimack leading UMass Lowell by the score of one to nothing. Well, wow, interesting news earlier today. Saw a 13-year-old player committed to uh, University of Michigan uh, from Vancouver, British Columbia. What, what can you tell us about that situation? <laughs> well, what I can definitely tell you is I have never seen him play before, so that that much I can confirm. Um, you know, it, it's he's what I can tell you is he's the second 2004-born player to commit to college. The first one were a pair of brothers that committed to Minnesota, I believe, about maybe six months ago, give or take. But um, it, it's again, you know, and there was a, a huge an uproar or a mini uproar on on Twitter as soon as he committed that. You know, uh, again about young recruiting. What does this mean? for the NCAA? What does it mean for college hockey in general? And uh, and it was an interesting point um, pointed out by uh, Mike McMahon of uh, the Eagle Tribune and the Mac Report that um, this is a player coming out of Vancouver and typically players that are coming out of Western Canada and anywhere in the Western United States are up for the WHL draft at a very young age. So the, the case made by Michigans and Minnesotas of the world is we need to recruit these players early to give them uh, give ourselves a chance at them because the WHL will draft them and develop them. So you know that's the argument that they make 
But there's also an argument to be made on the other side that, you know, how binding is a, a, um, a verbal commitment made by a 13-year-old? Yeah, and, and especially when you know, that draft, he's not going to be able to be drafted by the WHL for another three years. So really, I mean, if that, assuming that that story is true, he's got nothing to lose by having a, by committing to our league, announcing this commitment to a college. And uh, it's always possible then, you know, he continues to play well, that the you know, 16 comes around and uh, he's a first-round pick in the WHL and he ends up going there after all. Exactly. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that's that's really important from a scouting perspective, especially the, the work that we're doing at, at Neutral Zone is we have to at least be aware of what's going on. There's It's not a case where, oh, that, that happens to be a 13-year-old player, we we won't take a look, or that happens to be a player that is in a region that we can't get to. It's, it's a case where we have to at least be aware. And there, there was a conversation that we had um, earlier today among some of our Western scouts who had seen Bantam events where um, he had played, the 2004 player. And and from all reports that I had seen, they are they told me that he is one of the best players in Western Canada at his age. Obviously, that can be taken with a grain of salt because a lot of things can happen in five or six years. Yeah. yeah. Um, so really, I mean, it seems to me it's a no-lose situation for both him and the school, right? Because, uh, you know, let's say that, I mean, if Michigan's going to lose him, they're probably going to lose him at age 16, in which case they still would have had at least another couple of years to, to, to do something about him. Absolutely. And it's not that, you know, Michigan is short on recruiting either because they can very easily just walk into a living room and say, we are the University of Michigan. That isn't a very hard sell to make. And, you know, obviously the arena that they have, the facilities that they have, and, you know, the big-time programs that they have around them also help to support, you know, with things like weight facilities shared by all of the teams and whatnot. So I, I don't think it'll really be a concern for them if you know they commit a 13-year-old player and then down the road it doesn't work out. They, they, they go, end up going into the recruiting battle knowing they're going to lose a percentage of their players to the OHL, the WHL. They know what's going to happen. Right. And, and which leads me to the, my next question for you. And that has to do with this whole concept of over-recruiting. And uh, you know, either, like you said, knowing that uh, you're going to lose players because of that reason before they would even get to your school, perhaps in other cases, maybe at other schools, Knowing that certain players may not be able to get in if it's a particularly academically, uh, you know, difficult school, or I guess in some other cases it could be, uh, you know, schools that decide, well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna uh, recruit, say, uh, you know, 150 percent as many players as we need, and then take the best ones out of that, which is, you know, well, you know, we, we can certainly talk about, you know, how that is ethically and so on. But my question to you is. Um, what percentage do you think of the Division One schools are "quote unquote" over recruiting? That's a that's a really good question. I mean, you know, I, I'm someone who really enjoys data and I love analyzing statistics, but I mean, I, I don't know if I can come up with an exact figure. I, I would roughly say, right, exactly. I mean, if I were to estimate, I would say that probably maybe I don't know, 15 to 20 percent of each conference has you know each conference has one or two teams that are at least making an effort to do something like that because they feel like they they're afforded the ability to go after numerous players and they want to stockpile in order to make sure that they get the players that are the best out of that group to come into college. Now, again, there, there are arguments on both sides. Some people say that um, the coaching, it's, it's coaching is a results-oriented business, so if you bring in more of those successful players, it's a better program and you win more. The opposite argument being that it obviously hurts the kids that, you know, you're being promised that you're going to go to an institution, but yeah. the college will pull the rug out from under you. Yeah, very interesting, interesting points. Uh, all right, second period going to come up here based on what you saw in the first period between Merrimack and UMass Lowell. 
what should we look for? I think again, it's there, there's very little given, or there's a ton of give and take that um, goes on in these types of games because again, it's it's hand to hand combat. There is every inch of ice you have to earn. There is no love lost between either of these two schools being as close together as they are and as much of a rivalry as this has been over the past you know 40 plus years. But um, I, I I'm willing to bet that UMass Lowell will probably make a push here in the second period, and I feel like Merrimack is going to have to withstand that, especially because their record in the second period hasn't been all that great. Interesting, yeah, and I think actually both clubs are, uh, their second period is the worst out of the three, so it should be interesting to see why, what transpires here. Uh, Mark Bellotta with us from NeutralZone.net. Anything else that we should mention? Um, definitely. We, so we have some uh, new content that's going to be coming up on the site in um, the next couple of days. We have a massive prep report that we're working on with, if I remember correctly, at last count, over 200 players that we're profiling, which is going to be coming. We also are working on some awards that um, are going to be posted to the website for the best players in prep hockey. In addition, we have the Super 8, which is coming up um, in just a couple of weeks, and we also have the Elite Eight, which is coming up for prep school playoffs um, in just a couple of weeks as well. Interesting. Uh, good stuff, Mark. Uh, thanks. Check it out, folks, at NeutralZone.net. You'll be able to catch his work, Mark Bellotta, and all of the other fine folks there. Thanks as always, Mark. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, last home game of the year, so we're, uh, we've appreciated your joining us here on these broadcasts, and uh, you know, we'll do it again soon, even if it's again next year. Trust me, it's an honor. It really is an honor. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, Mark. That is Mark Bellotta, our guest here in the first intermission with the score, Merrimack 1, UMass Lowell nothing. We will be back with more right after this. This is Warrior Hockey.